The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Inspira podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. Welcome to the Inspira podcast, hosted by your girl, me, Erica Mueller-Chen. I'm an international development specialist with over a decade of experience leveraging the amazing power of sport to promote peace and positive social impact. My career has allowed me to live in Europe, Southern Africa, and Latin America. In 2022, I accepted an offer for my dream job in sports diplomacy. And I also became an employee family member to a U.S. diplomat, a.k.a. an EFM. This podcast is all about inspiration and career advice. Each episode, I'll interview an inspirational global changemaker working in sport for development, social impact, or the diplomatic service. This series is perfect if you have interest in breaking into one of these sectors or you've already landed that dream role and are keen to learn from thought leaders. Enjoy today's episode and stay inspired. We were a really small number of people coming from a foreign country or like actually uh, refugees per se in the definition. It is really the game of basketball at that point that helped me to feel empowered, strong, and the part of uh, society. Welcome, friends. Today's special guest is Ivana Pranic, a former Austrian basketball champion who has experienced the power of sport from a very young age. Ivana is currently pursuing her PhD in sports diplomacy at the German Sport University in Cologne, examining the topic of chances and limitations of sports diplomacy in Southeast Europe. She also serves as a project manager for Enzo Youth's Sport for Sustainable Development Project. Welcome, Ivana. How are you doing today? Thank you very much for your kind introduction. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Where are you calling us from today? Um, I have been in Austria. Like I grew up actually in Austria, would say 28 years, but currently I'm in Croatia. Because I've called this podcast Inspira, I love to start my conversations by highlighting why my guest inspires me. Ivana, in thinking about your journey, which I, I know you'll share more about today, I feel inspired by your perseverance. I also feel inspired knowing that even though you're still young yourself, you are doing work to support other young people and women to make their journeys easier and more accessible in the sport sector. Ivana, let's let's jump right into it. So I would love to know in your own words, if you can share a brief overview of your life, your sports career journey thus far. Um, where should I start? Uh, let me say like this. Well, um, <laughs> I'm sometimes in Austria, sometimes in Croatia. Well, I started at the beginning because I was born in a third country you haven't heard it is um, it all began in Bosnia and Herzegovina where I was born around the beginning of war at uh, that country around 1991 
And for uh, those of you who don't know, uh, because I don't know where you're listening from, Bosnia and Herzegovina is actually a part of former Yugoslavia, together with Croatia, Serbia, Montenegro, and Macedonia, uh, including the regions of Kosovo and Vojvodina, to be politically correct here. And to simplify for you, there, Croatia declared its independence in uh, 1991, as well as Slovenia, which effectively ended that union, and a war followed. I was born, as I said, in Bosnia in 1991 and came to Austria in 1992 as a war refugee from the Balkan War. And I would say, I mean, I you can assume uh, it was a hard time. Um, I fell in love with sport, still in kindergarten. Uh, I used to watch my father play basketball and I grew up in a small, small village uh, in the south of Austria, like where everybody knows the other person. It was like a, a country farm. So... Um, after high school, I moved to Vienna to study. Um, it might surprise you, but I first studied linguistics. <laughs> so <it> has, <laughs> That doesn't uh, surprise me because you yeah. speak uh, six languages now. So, <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, at that time, like I was 17, 18, and at that time I was in sport and I was playing basketball, but I that, that time didn't really know what much I could do in the sports sector and kind of didn't know what options I would have um, afterwards in my career. And um, I was playing basketball throughout and coaching kids and refereeing from time to time. So sport was part of my everyday life. And uh, eventually I decided I need to study sport management um, as well. Uh, so which I actually also uh, successfully did at the end. And I'm really super glad about it. And uh, my first real job was in the uh, was working for the Austrian Basketball Federation, and then I uh, moved on, uh, ending now today being a PhD uh, candidate um, or, or working on a topic, I would say, of sports diplomacy, mainly in the in the sports sector. Mm, and you mentioned sport just coming into your life and you loving it. Was it something that you knew you were going to study and pursue professionally? Or like, how was that decision-making process? Um. As you said, to be honest, it was sport that made me kind of feel part of society. And I know we have uh, this from the past years, this crisis coming up um, from 2015, the refugee crisis and everything. And at some point I could relate to those people. It was completely different. I don't want to compare those things. But yeah. um, we were one of like uh, me and my cousins. We were three families in, whole, in a whole small area, you know, and we kind of needed to adapt and it, uh, feeling an outsider was not so easy. And it was sport that made me really feel part of society. And I kind of grew into it. I didn't question it. It was just like where I got my energy from, where I left my energy. And um, I had a lot of friends that also studied sports science, sports management. And it kind of then came naturally to me that I wanted to, that I wanted to do it. And to be honest, I mean, my parents are like Balkan parents, you know, they want you to study medicine and be a doctor. They want you to study uh, law and then be a lawyer. You know, they don't understand like, what I have done already so far and what I'm actually doing. So, <laughs> Well, let's have our audience try to understand. And uh, yeah, thank you, Ivana, for, for sharing that background with us. And I am wondering a little bit more about how those experiences have shaped you. I mean, you mentioned just how sport allowed you to feel included. And you also mentioned having these different experiences as a refugee from Bosnia and then coming to Austria and Croatia. How have those experiences influenced you or those countries influenced you? My dad was a basketball player and uh, I used to watch him play and I was really young and I started to do that in kindergarten. 
and I was the tallest girl in high school and the teachers loved me but it was you know the kids I wanted to get the appreciation from and it took me some years that not only just the teachers liked me but also the my classmates and I remember one of those days I wanted to share that I want to share that with you is um, I was voted MVP it was just like a small school league but it was not the title for me that was important it was just that at that point it was the feeling of uh, appreciation what I was so long craving for um, I mean when I say in my childhood years it sounds like super old I'm not <laughs> I don't feel old um, but um, we were, as I said, we were a really small number of people coming from a foreign country or like actually uh, refugees per se in the definition. And we know how kids cr can be cruel. And I was an outsider, not really welcomed by the kids. And um, they told me to go back where I came from. But it was it actually it was never my choice. And at that point, I didn't understand what I could answer because nobody asked me where I want to go. It is really the game of basketball at that point that helped me to feel empowered, strong, and a part of uh, society. And my upbringing did made me, it was a tough one. It made me tougher. Um, it taught me to never give up. And uh, to put it simple, I think we all have struggles. But uh, I choose to struggle with joy. Um, at least I try to. And uh, yeah, it only can go get better with that. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, and we'll try to focus on the good things today. We'll focus on the potential power of sport and, and kind of that journey since that. So yeah, let's, let's dig into that, Ivana. And uh, what, what does sport for development and sports diplomacy mean to you? And maybe just like some brief differentiations, if you can share. To put it simple, I think sport for development for me is on the ground experience, the field experience. It is for me to use the power of sport, like sport as a tool for social change, not just um, in the context of giving access and possibility for physical activity and playing sport, uh, mainly for kids and young people, but also adding up here like the non-formal education aspect with uh, education influence with sport. And diplomacy, on the other hand, I think manifests itself through many different tools, including official negotiations and cultural exchanges. Um, and I think that within these cultural exchanges, that sport can play an important role because of its universal popularity and also the homogeneous character. I mean, I might be a really good story for that or example you just heard. I came from somewhere else and it was the sport actually that that felt that made me feel a uh, part of something. Sport diplomacy as such is part of a wide umbrella of public diplomacy and it mostly involves the governmental um, aspect. It involves representatives and diplomatic activities undertaken by sports people on behalf maybe of or their own governments. And the practice is facilitated by traditional diplomacy and uses sports people and sporting events, also mega sporting events to engage, inform and create a favorable image among uh, the other public and also organizations to shape, shape their perceptions. I think that sport is very often perceived as a valuable soft power asset and then here it stands also in opposite with hard power. With I mean, we all know hard power usually refers to military interventions or economic payments or sanctions. And this concept of, of soft power was mainly introduced, I think, around in the late 1980s. 
but uh, we don't want to get uh, too <laughs> a, a academic here. But I think that sport diplomacy is a really cost-effective tool for conveying positive messages um, to foreign citizens. And I think that this is also another reason why today even sports or indiv uh, sports teams or also individuals are becoming messengers and of their nation's diplomatic uh, messages. I think we all know some famous athletes and uh, sports teams uh, in our own countries, in our respective countries, that can build the bridges between the nations and help to resolve national issues. Spoken like a PhD student. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ivana. <laughs> I, I thought so while I was speaking, I was like, okay, you now need to stop. <laughs> You're not. It's ready. like human and then student. It's like sometimes. So I, I appreciate your answer. It's really helpful, especially for people who kind of think that they're the same thing or that sport transcends these these situations to create positive impact in kind of like a general way like no it can be really specific like on the development side as you said with communities and on the diplomacy side which can sometimes be country to country or governmental like you said and uh Ivana how did you first learn about these concepts I I know you mentioned potentially experiencing sport for development when you were young, but did you actually know it was sport for development? And when did kind of those words take shape? And when did you, you start digging deeper into the meaning of those words? Good question. I think that comes, uh, that comes with uh, being um, in an international context uh, where like basically through sport. So I remember of, uh, I was part of the IOA with, National Olympic Academy. I don't know if you have heard about it. It's happening every year, and it's um, young people being sent to to Greece um, to to learn about the Olympic spirit and the Olympic values. And um, I think it's a great opportunity also to widen your horizon. As sport is um, like really giving this opportunity in the international context for all the young people who who want to to have a great experience. Um, Look at your NOC's websites because it's a really, really cool experience. And to be honest, it was one of the best two weeks of my life. And I think that, that is really when I started for myself. I was already studying sports management, but for myself, where I was, I think I want to stay in the sports sector and I need to focus. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I'll, I'll definitely put a link for the IOA. I think uh, someone else I spoke to, Mirjana from Serbia. She works for the NOC in Serbia and she oh, started it. Perfect. <laughs> you can listen to her episode coming soon. One follow-up question to this sport for development, sports diplomacy topic. Are there any success stories you can share, whether it's your time working with basketball as a coach, as a referee, or Enzo youth, uh, or even as a researcher? I think there are really many. And as you just mentioned, there are different layers of it. We can start and write them hierarchically. I think, uh, I think everybody know one, everyone knows that, you know, the, the conflict between North and South Korea and how sport played a unifying role here. Then, I mean, if uh, you have listened to the past 10 minutes, I could also bring myself in here as an example, but um, also because I'm focusing and I am from a country because Bosnia is a country, you know, where there are three confessions. They have the Muslims, the Orthodox, and the Catholic. And it's um, sometimes it's a really big issue of conflict. Um, but still, it is sport and, and soccer and football and many others that bring them together on the same playground. And I think this is sport for development work and sport diplomacy, where you can bring those people together. 
Let's talk about some of your work experience. I know I've mentioned a few of the names, whether it's Engso Youth, uh, but I also know you've done things with Peace and Sport as well as new leaders. And whatever you're comfortable sharing, I'm curious how you started to get tied into those different networks and secure various paid roles in the sector, which can be really tricky. <laughs> Where to start? Um... I would say three keywords. Um, one of them is perseverance, uh, the wish and the will, and probably also necessary is luck. Being at the same time, uh, at the right time, at the at the right um, location, and the big part of for me was really volunteering. Um, I so many of the opportunities uh, that arose for me. Uh, through volunteering and um, if somebody asks really an advice how to how to move forward or how can I can can I get it going I would for myself it was volunteering this is my advice I can give you on a personal experience you have mentioned the youth committee um, which is the European non-governmental sports organization focusing on youth and they have a youth committee and using sport as a tool for social change. And I was part of the committee in the last term, 2019-21. And during that, it really provided me with so many opportunities. You mentioned I was speaking at Peace and Sport, also at the, at the youth program there. Um, and opportunities that arose, are, and a lot of times they depend also on hard work. And you have to be patient. I know the struggle. I've been there. I'm sometimes still going through it. And all I can say is to to the many young people out there that want to have a foot in there, just to not give up and really believe in themselves. New leaders, for example, I it is also sometimes um, the network that can you know just throw you some information and then you dig deeper and then you see that it is something for you. To be honest, new leaders were something. I saw on the website, uh, or it was a tweet from somebody else. I read through it, and applied, and I got in. And it was one of the best experiences in and programs on leadership and women in sport in my life. So, volunteering, networking, or and communication, I would say. Mm, and don't forget your perseverance, Ivana. You said that first, and it sounds like that was definitely key to keep going in this, especially as a volunteer. It can feel like, okay, how can I make this a career? How can I get money from this? But as you said, if you work hard and you make good impressions and you start to build some professional relationships, you can transform that into a paid opportunity. Yes, and I get that. I know that young people struggle a lot. Like I'm volunteering. When will I get um, mm. paid for my for my work? When yeah. it, when will I get the appreciation? I really I want to say that because I understand that I have been there. It will you will get there. So just like stay uh, stay in there and and keep going on because the opportunity will come and you will you will get it. Quick break here to highlight what I consider to be a fabulous resource that I've created for any listeners out there interested in learning more about the sport for development and peace sector. You've come to the right place. In addition to Inspira podcast episodes that you can listen to, I've created a written resource that you can read, which currently has over 90 items I've curated from my own experience and vetted with other experts in the field. 
These include databases to find award-winning organizations, links to reports, books, and research, as well as recommended newsletters and recorded webinars, all Sport for Dev related. I encourage you to have a look. You can find this resource by visiting my link tree listed in each episode's show notes, then clicking Erica's Global Resource Hub. That's right, Erica's Global Resource Hub. If you like what you read and what you hear, I'd love it if you could give Inspira a five-star review on your chosen podcast platform and write a kind review. That would be so energizing for me and it would help Inspira reach more ears. Thanks, and back to the show. Three, two, one, yeah. I was looking at your LinkedIn these last few months, and I, it seems like you had a really cool travel opportunity recently. I saw some photos. You went to Japan. Tell me a little bit more. What were you doing there, and how was your experience? Yes, thank you for this question as well. This year was really, I would say, um, a travel year because I traveled to two new continents. It was Africa in um, May with Senegal, and it was uh, Japan and Tokyo, as you just mentioned. And both trips uh, were part of uh, the Sport for Sustainable Development project from Enzo Youth, which is an um, EU-funded project, and I'm uh, the project coordinator. And it's actually NGU's first transcontinental project, uh, which was aiming to form and strengthen the collaboration between the Olympic host cities, which was Tokyo 2020. And we have also a project partner for Paris 24, and uh, also Dakar, which had its Youth Olympics postponed from 2022 to 2026. And we were in Dakar, we were hosted by the NOC of Senegal, a great experience. Thanks a lot for the hosting again. And uh, in the Japan, we also had a Senegal was a youth exchange and uh, um, Japan was a training course where we gathered to equip people with the, uh, with the, the knowledge and uh, upskill the youth sport, youth coaches and youth workers to increase their knowledge and skills and competences in the field of sport for sustainable development, also provide the learning and mobility opportunities and um, create the synergies through, through our partnerships uh, from the different sectors. It was, uh, yes, a really nice opportunity. And thanks everybody who was uh, participating and contributing and collaborating. Yes, and I also want to see um, this traveling. This is also one of the benefits I, I see with sport. You get to travel, you meet new people. Um, but most importantly, you learn new culture. You know, you, you widen your horizons. You get the opportunity and do things that everybody does and um, when you go to another country you don't know the language you don't know the culture just thrown in there you go with the flow and then you see what happens and you come home richer you might not you might don't know that at that time but later on when you when you think back you'll see how much like how much that worse thinking it did make make you and um, you definitely get I think mm, I'm not sure if I know the English word for that. So like more respectful uh, mm -hmm. and yeah. inclusive thinking. I'm yeah. not sure. I think it's like cross-cultural. When, when I was working at Peace Corps, we called it cultural agility. It like was not only like awareness, but acceptance and appreciation. So those are some English words. They might not be exactly what you're thinking of in Croatian or in like German in your that. mind, but it's close, right? <laughs> I like that. I think that. Okay. 
Well, that sounds awesome. You you said you added two new, was it two new continents to your list? Wow, that's a big year. Yeah, I'm going to Morocco in two weeks, so. Okay, back to the African continent. I love it. Ivana, I want to dive in to some of your current research. So I know that uh, you're doing your PhD studies and that you have chosen to focus on sports diplomacy and you're smiling. So there must be like no stress around this topic. So we're just going to chit chat about your current research or your research aspirations examining sports diplomacy and something that you taught me about in our first conversation, which is in my quotation marks, the role of small states and so can you share some insights why did you choose that topic and what are you hoping to produce from your research yeah i'm smiling because i sounded already quite academic at some point <laughs> answering one question and i'm afraid it's going to happen again so i'm, oh, I'm inviting you to do this and i love your background because yeah you're doing research now but you really came from that athlete perspective and practitioner so be as academic as you want go for it <laughs> Thank you very much, Erika. I mean, just to, to have a bit acad academic uh, uh, atmosphere here. Um, well, sports diplomacy is defined as the con conscious, strategic and ongoing use of sports, sports people on sporting events by state and non-state actors to advance policy development, education, image, reputation, brand, everything. Uh, basically, uh, it encapsulates a more inclusive plural and probably innovative method of uh, diplomacy, where I believe that governments, non-state actors and sports organizations work together for a win-win outcome, I, I would call it um, today. And given the world order, small states form an integral part of the international order. And just to give a short, um, a short fact here, there are two thirds of the United Nations members fall into this category of small states. I mean, there's not a big difference. They operate in the same board, uh, broad policy, uh, political and economic and environment as all other states as well. And in their foreign policy, they pursue the same objectives of security, prosperity and well-being in their, in their citizens. They also conduct their diplomacy strategies using the same toolboxes as the larger states. And in my research, I do focus on the Southeast European um, area. Some call it, um, it is also called the Balkan, uh, the Balkan countries. Um, I tend to not use this term as I want to stay ge uh, geographically and not go in the, in the political discourse. And um, just as explained at the beginning, it was it is the state of former Yugoslavia when the for, when the those states in 1991 uh, fell into smaller states. So as I said, I'm a Croatian, and uh, so my focus of interest ex, uh, explains I think itself very easily. But um, to just give you a short insight about this uh, sports diplomacy, what is I can say for now and from my experience, I mean. Croatia is a country that has around 4 million inhabitants and their Croatian sporting results are a winning card. I mean, to have a proper picture of how sport may serve as an outstanding promotion and political diplomatic tool, I think we all know the, the final match of the FIFA World Cup in, in, in Russia between France and Croatia, and it's had a global audience of 1.12 billion people meaning that every sixth person in the world heard about Croatia at that point, a country of four million people. 
And on the other hand, for such a small country, this kind of sporting event was an excellent opportunity for the Croatian president and also prime minister to spend a lot of time doing not just like sport entertainment, but also politics during the football games with um, Russian, British and France heads of state and governments. And we all know that the friendly the friendly hug between Macron and the for at uh, that time the president um Kitarovic. And actually it was tough for me to choose an example because I don't want to diminish the outstanding results of the tennis team that has won the Davis Cup twice in 2005 and 2018 and also having the great two skiers and Ivica Kostelic winning Olympic golds in a country that actually is not really blessed with snow. Um so this country doesn't even have a proper skiing center. That meant really a lot for the country and also for the branding and reputation um, of uh, of of the country and so on and so forth. <laughs> wow. So I'm picturing you now in your PhD studies, watching the World Cup, watching tennis matches, just eating popcorn. Is that like exactly what you're doing as a PhD student? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, for another day. Yeah, we'll save that for another day. Well, thank you for those uh, fun examples. And uh, yeah, just demonstrating a little bit more about your research and your your passion and interest for producing information and insights about the small states, which, as you mentioned, is a large portion of the world, right? It's not just Croatia, even though Croatia is on your heart for good reason, but uh, many other countries that maybe potentially get less attention in the academic space or in the sport for development space. So I'm looking forward to when you complete your PhD and hopefully can smile about it for a different reason. (laughs) One day, one day. (laughs) All right, Ivana, um, why is gender equality and women in sport or women in sport administration important to you? Well, I think this question comes really naturally. Um, being a woman in the in the sector, wanted or not, uh, you you experience things, um, the good and the bad. And today we have a range of different strategic documents, recommendations, and policy papers, uh, such as just to name a few: the IOC Gender Equality Review, then the Olympic Agenda, uh, with proposing the recommendations for gender equality and. Uh, the EUC gender equality strategy, then the, we have the European Commission with towards more gender equality in sport and the Olympic agenda of 10 to 20 plus 5 strengthen the role of sport as an enabler of the goals. Gender equality is not mentioned. What does that mean? Actually, gender equality is not a topic per se anymore. Which might mean that we have already reached the goal, or have we already done uh, done enough? And um, being a woman in the sector, I, I think we can all answer the question with a very easy uh, with a no. Just to mention some examples, we have the coaching and the officials, and we have a big underrepresentation in coaching and officials, especially in the elite level. Only around twenty percent of all sport coaches in Europe. Are women and if we ask and to look around about the gap it's caused by personal interpersonal social cultural biases i know that uh, for example we have if you look at the olympic games we have a, a gender equal representation of athletes but um the sport movement it's not just about the position of athletes we have as i just mentioned the coaching and the officials 
and also one of one that is very close to my heart. What is about uh, leadership? There's still a significant underrepresentation on women in leadership positions, in contrast with the increased sports participation. And just because I have been uh, really, really uh, doing, uh, trying to be part of that, uh, I would say br brave young women uh, movement in the sport world to like give women a, a say in sport, and um, therefore it is a really a topic close to my heart. And the European Institute for Gender Equality, for example, says that there is only an average of fourteen percent of women. Uh, that are, that are in the top position making uh, level. And the reasons for that are organizational uh, demographics, the, also the hegemonial um, masculinity, the power games and the stakeholder influences, and more influential men than women. And uh, some studies also um, report lower aspirations for, uh, for power positions. For women than men and i mean i could go on uh, go on uh, on so forth one one other aspect i just want to mention you know the world is huge there is a different understanding of gender equality in north america in africa in asia as well as in northern europe there is a difference in europe between the north and the south oh my gosh how would not there be a difference between africa and north america you know, so I think there are so many layers that still need uh, to be tackled, and I hope um, that we will still work together um, to make uh, a, a move forward. Let's put it like that. Yes, I know a lot of women listening would completely agree with you that, yes, some progress has been made, but more can be made. And I didn't know a lot of what you shared about gender equality or even gender equity being omitted from certain documents or certain priorities. And, and like you said, it's really important that it's included. Another key topic that I know is really important to you is youth participation. So Ivana, I'm wondering, what do you think are the benefits of youth participation and representation of young people in sport, especially in decision-making boards? Definitely representation. Um, this is the youngest uh, and the largest youth population the world has ever known. It's about representation. Also, it is a human right. Uh, it's about inclusivity. It gives diversity, and it's definitely uh, it would uh, give another perspective on on the various topics. I know I'm academic, and I, I like to have like references where you can take a look at. But the, the European Union Youth Report says that the current youngest uh, youth generation is the most educated ever and is specialized skills uh, in using information and communication technologies, um, especially for social media. And we all, I think, agree that these are crucial for today's and tomorrow's world. Um, and I think also that making, and, uh, making the most out of these skills would be a major step forward towards ensuring our younger generation's place in the, especially in the transition with climate neutral and the, and the focus on, on digital technologies and communication. The question is, um, and I think I can also relate it to the question with gender equality, is the question is about how does that representation look like? 
regarding youth participation and the benefits and youth development, there is not much research in the field of youth governance and uh, youth leadership, but there is, uh, the existing research already confirms that there is this generational gap and we all see that this is so vivid for all of us. And this generational gap uh, causes the intergenerational conflict and is it actual, actually a catalyst for the exclusion of young people in decision-making, both uh, sides experience the prejudice. The older ones say the young people are not experienced enough, don't are not knowledgeable enough. And then the other hand, we have, they don't want to include us. It is also very often said um, from the experienced leaders that young people are not interested or not dedicated enough. Um, they need to have more knowledge first. And so the lack of experience and knowledge I see is an excuse for exclusion in the decision-making process. But I really think that in order to increase youth governance and youth participation, especially as you said, in the decision-making bodies and uh, committees, it is the experienced leaders that must change their behavior and contribute uh, to the change of the organizational culture. And Youth just must be perceived different, I believe. It must come from a change from the secondary to, to become a primary stakeholder in the governance of the sport organizations. Uh, and I think that is necessary for them to increase the power, the authority and the uh, legit legitimacy. So I don't really know how we could uh, Go there. Actually, we are currently working on uh, on an article about youth participation um, in in um, sport organizations. For now, I mean, maybe we could uh, take an example like the, the how it was done with gender equality. Maybe quotas will give more access to young people. But on the other hand, access is not enough. They must feel safe, uh, and only in the safe environment they would raise their voice, voice and probably uh, show their potential. So um, I don't think that it is enough to put young people on youth committees and let them discuss among themselves. Um, I really believe that sports needs to overcome the generational gap and uh, it's important that young people and the experienced people meet, that they have an ongoing dialogue, that we work together you said several things there, Ivana, and thank you for your answer and your commitment to the importance of youth. It's definitely a key, key importance in the sports sector, especially in social impact. And so a few things I heard you say that I want to repeat are that access and inclusion is important, but those two things are different, right? Access is the first step. Inclusion and a feeling of inclusion is hopefully the next step. And changing what you and I can agree on is this perception that the opinion of youth or of younger people isn't as valued in those rooms or in those big decision-making tables. Two more things that really, really stood out to me that you said one is, of course, the generational gap, which we see in lots and lots of industries, but I'd say especially sport. And now that sport for development and sports diplomacy as sectors or as concepts are maturing, there do need to be opportunities for this next generation to contribute to them. And then the other and final thing that really, really stood out to me is this, what I think about is like, 
a cycle. Um, you mentioned youth maybe aren't invited because they don't have the experience, but how can they get the experience if they're not invited? So it's like an endless cycle that is really, really tricky. Ivana, we've, we've talked about the challenges. Let's put those aside for a minute and breathe a little bit. Tell us what are some special moments or experiences that have kept you motivated to continue to work and contribute into this sport for social impact sector? I really want to share a small moment that was caught me off guard, to be honest, but it was uh, a, a youth program where I was um, um, being there as a as a mentor or a speaker and it was a really long day and at the end of the day and I had um, and had to participate and moderate like a high level panel I was really really uh, nervous and at the end of the day I had this youth session and I was so you know so happy to be with them because I kind of felt somehow relate related to them and uh, you know, we always seek for the for the appreciation from 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 above. But at the end of the day, she came over to me and she was like, "You know what? Seeing you, it really inspired me. I think I can go there as well." And it was a girl. She was probably fifteen, but it meant that that day it meant so much to me. And for myself, it threw me back because. I was also seeking the appreciation and uh, the acknowledgement from from the high level people, but in the end, it was that that the girl that actually saw me as somebody she would look up to, that really made me happy. And that day, uh, that day, so the special moments for me are the ones where I can, through either my story or my motivation, can help somebody else stand up, move forward. So that is. And I had a lot of them in sport and I'm thankful for them. So these are moments that um, really, really stand with me and like are in the heart, you know, for quite a long time. Well, for any listeners who feel like they enjoy this episode, send Ivana a note on LinkedIn, on social media, wherever it is, because it matters. It really can help us feel like what we're doing is useful that it is making a positive difference in one person's life and what about yourself are there any personal or professional dreams you've been dreaming about or or just things you're excited about things i'm excited about what i wish so for the professional aspect um when you ask me like just what first bumps into my head like combining my work and experiences probably one of you know i'm not saying a key actor but bringing a major sporting event to to one to to my country to be honest go big or go home i would say yeah and i think that's something you mentioned to me in our first phone call you're like let's bring the olympics to a small state and you said let's bring it to croatia let's bring it here let's bring it um and yeah just speaking that out and uh who knows who knows i don't know how how, how that possible but uh, if football comes that's okay <laughs> all right let's bring part of it or let's bring one sport yeah <laughs> i don't want people to think i'm like crazy, crazy. <laughs> hey i'm the one that said it don't worry now that we know more about our guests career journey 
the rest of our conversation will allow us to have some fun and get to know our guest on a personal level through some rapid fire questions. We'll then start to wrap up with pointed questions focused on advice and how our listeners can transform interest into action. Enjoy the rest of the conversation. How would your best friends describe you? Oh, I had this conversation recently. Um, I would say, hopefully I'm right, um, no, loyal, trustworthy, probably standing up. All right, the big one. What's your favorite food? (laughs) I know it's bad when I say that, but it's French fries and it's from McDonald's. And this is not guerrilla marketing, but really. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I need to play this for my husband because I love French fries and, you know, we'll travel to different places and you just get that craving. So no judgment here. This is a safe space. Uh, All right. I will ask a follow up. Are there any more traditional dishes whether it's an austrian dish or a croatian food dish that you do really savor from time to time yes but if i need to explain it in english i cannot (laughs) (laughs) explain it however you want and people can google it (laughs) it's called it's called sarma and you basically only eat it for mostly for christmas or like in their big parties but to be honest, it's something with meat and I cannot explain. So please look it up. <laughs> Do you have a guilty pleasure? Yes. <laughs> and us. probably most of my friends will completely agree. Probably singing your my heart out in the car. And all my friends can confirm that because when they enter my car, they know what's following. So. <laughs> Do you have some favorite cities that you've traveled to? Yes, um, that I have traveled to. I mean, you could say that you dream of traveling to whatever, whatever stands out to you. Okay, favorite cities are definitely Rome and Lisbon. Lisbon, I have not seen much. I would need to go back there. But where I want to go is the Taj Mahal. Mm. All right, let us know when you do. The photos of that are like miraculous. I haven't been, so I'll go with you. Let me know. <laughs> All right. And I have one that I didn't write down before, but I think the first time we talked, you mentioned that you have met the Pope. Is that correct? Yes. yes. <laughs> Tell me how that happened. I was uh, part of the coordination of an inter-religious um, project, Sports Ministry of the Pope. I don't even know how to say that anymore. But yes, I met the Pope last year. Wow. Shout we went out to the to... Vatican. Yes, we went to the Vatican and we had a we had a funders meeting there and yeah. um, we had an introduction. Do you know if an American person named Joanne Pasternak was there? Because she went to a Pope thing recently. <laughs> was it just two weeks ago? No, it was at least a year ago. And I interviewed her for the podcast. So check out that episode coming soon. I will acquire. Yeah. We'll, we'll connect and, and think about it because I was like, how many opportunities is the Pope putting out there to talk to my yeah. sports friends? And I'm not one of them, so. <laughs> we'll arrange something now you have the connection. Yeah, right? Ivana recommended I reach out to you on Twitter. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any specific advice for people who are interested in breaking into sport for social impact? I think um, I'd be very 
short here and we mentioned that it's just be persistent believe in yourself and don't give up what skills do you think are quite important for people to try to develop before or while they're entering the sport for development sector and pursuing jobs what skills are really important I think that today um, adaptability is actually a key to success. Um, it also always depends on like uh, the level of adaptability. Very important are communication skills and and people skills. Um, I think these are the you know the, the social skills that are uh, very often um, just expected but uh, are not really there in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, definitely those are some of my um, recommendations. Are there any resources that you recommend for folks who want to learn more about the sector, especially about sport for development? I think there's a lot of already out there. It depends a lot in which direction someone wants to go. Is it an academia, academia research, community work, project management on a lo local, regional or national aspect? But um I, as an, you know, I'm a PhD, so I would definitely, you know, recommend to 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 do some reading, some current articles, subscribe to different newsletters. You know, already when you see the headlines of of some stories, uh, you can then choose for yourself if you want to go there or not. I mean, I think you all are aware of sport and dev uh, side. Also, there is beyond sports. You've already mentioned throughout our conversation some organizations. I mean, just now you said sportanddev.org, Beyond Sport. And then I know earlier in our conversation, you had the new leaders experience where you developed as a leader and you have also done so much with ENGSO Youth. Including those or in addition to those, are there any other organizations or leadership development programs that you hope people can can look up to find out if they might be a good fit for it or or can learn from those experiences or those organizations, even if it's just through the Internet? Yeah, well, I, I have still some on my wish list, to be honest. Um, so um, I what I said and what you just mentioned is what I have experienced and I would really highly recommend. But I know that uh, also that the U.S. Department of State has a great, um, a great program for, I think, sport diplomacy. I don't know if it's just women in sports diplomacy, but also I can uh, suggest the United Nations Alliance of Civilization to look up that organization. They have also... Um, a young leaders program, I think, that is uh, trying to connect between the Middle East, Europe, and uh, North uh, and America. I think I can put some of those links in the episode notes, especially the U.S. Department of State, because I mean, at the time of our interview, that's my future employer. And finally, on on this advice topic, how do you think folks can network strategically? Well, um, a good question. To be honest, I'm not really sure if I'm the right person to answer the, this question. Me personally, I like to think about networking as connecting. Um, because furthermore, connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, and when you can give uh, and receive without judgment. So I, I really like to think about it uh, like that. So it makes it easier for me to jump into it. But to put simple, um, it's listen and hear and to be heard. And to add up a bit on what I have when I have mentioned purpose and meaning, um, I think it's the connection, meaning networking, that gives purpose and meaning to our lives. And as soon as you find that out, 
I think me, uh, networking, um, aka connecting, will come kind of naturally, and then you don't really need a strategy for it. Very nice answer. I like that. Like thinking about what connection actually means. I don't think I've thought about that in a really long time. Like it has these this deeper meaning that you feel something like an energy with something else. And in this case, it's with another person. So yeah, I really like that answer. And you are a good person to ask. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> How can our audience support you or your work moving forward? Good question. <laughs> um, Croatia, just... 30, 38. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, yeah, no. Um, well, whenever you see an opportunity to connect, I think we could collaborate. I mean, I'm also on LinkedIn. So there's definitely space where, where we could uh, connect. I'm not one trying the connection. So happy to hear from you. My final question that I love to ask all of the guests because I've called this podcast Inspira. I hope there have been inspirational moments throughout our conversation. And my final question is who or what inspires you, Ivana? And if you might answer in Croatian, one of the six languages you speak, and then perhaps give us a little bit of an English uh, translation. Um, prvo bi rekla da je to moja a, mama a, i na drugu ruku bi rekla da su to mladi ljudi i pogotovo mladi ljudi koji nisu imali baš puno mogućnosti, koji se bore um, i oni ljudi koji vide a, dobro a, i oni ljudi koji um, odlučuju nikad ne odustati. So a change uh, first um, and foremost it's uh, my mom. I would say that's the first get person to, to be inspired from. And in this context, I would also call this, um, give the shout out to young people, mainly the ones with few opportunities who fight and uh, people who see the good and uh, people who refuse to give up. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Inspira podcast with Erica Mueller-Chen. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and found it useful. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources. Specifically, my link tree is there with tons of awesome information. Feel inspired to take action today? I've got three action steps you can take right now because you know your girl likes calls to action and number three. So here goes. Number one, follow the podcast on your chosen podcast platform. Number two, share your feedback with me through the listener survey listed on that link tree. And number three, tell just one friend about this podcast so they can give it a listen to. And do I have any overachievers out there? I've got a bonus action step, which is to consider supporting me and making sure this passion project prospers. So number four, follow the link to buy me a coffee. That would be pretty amazing. Until next time, stay inspired.